It's time to get the juices flowing with another episode of A Minder. This is a podcast that combs over recently published literature in Alzheimer's disease. And in this episode, you'll be hearing about papers published in November of 2021 that target neurotoxicity and synaptic dysfunction, as well as neurotransmitter balance, as a means of progressing towards a better treatment for Alzheimer's disease. Why don't we dive right in? Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Hello, my name is Anusha, and I'll be your guide through the next 17 papers. The first part of this episode looks at six papers exploring potential therapies for restoring synaptic and neuronal function in Alzheimer's disease models. After the break, we have two papers targeting the M1 muscarinic acetylcholine receptor, seven more papers looking at restoring balance to neurotransmission by targeting acetylcholine balance, and we'll conclude our episode with two final papers on monoamine oxidase function. There are a couple short forms you'll hear me use, including A-beta and AD, which stand for amyloid beta and Alzheimer's disease respectively. Before we begin, our podcast is largely a volunteer effort, but we still need funds to keep us up and running on the platforms that give us access to you. So thank you to our sponsor, the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. This sponsorship does not affect our content or the papers that we cover, but you will hear a few words from them during our intermission. Speaking of content, we summarize abstracts that were indexed on PubMed and are therefore published in peer-reviewed journals. You should make your own judgments on the quality of these findings as we make an effort to remain unbiased. You can do so by finding these papers in our free bibliographies listed in the order in which they appear in today's episode. These bibliographies are available in today's show notes and on our website, aminder.com. With that, it's time to get started on our first section, Targeting Neuronal and Synaptic Protection. In this section, we'll cover papers that target neurotoxicity, memory impairment, neuroinflammation, and specific facets of synaptic transmission like calcium flux. We will begin with our first paper of this episode, Targeting Neurotoxic Damage. Paper number one is titled, The Effects of the Renin Inhibitor Aliskirin on Neuronal Toxic Damage. The first author is Lu, and the last author is Yang, and this was published in Pharmazie. The authors are affiliated with two hospitals in Guangxi, China. Our first paper brings me back to physiology lectures, as it uses an inhibitor to renin, or renin as some people pronounce it, an enzyme that is released by the kidneys that modulates blood pressure. The inhibitor, called aliskirin, has previously been shown to be anti-inflammatory and reduces progression of atherosclerosis. Here, authors tested the hypothesis that aliskirin can serve as a neuroprotectant from A-beta-induced toxicity in neuron-like SHSY5Y cells, or sushi cells as they're commonly referred to, they found that aliskirin could rescue cells from A-beta-induced inflammatory damage and apoptosis. 
Interestingly, on its own, it did not have any effects on cell viability. They followed this up with a molecular docking study to predict the interactors of Elisgirin. This pointed to the enzyme PDE4B, which is implicated in schizophrenia, interestingly enough. Here, it was found to be highly expressed in damaged cells and that its overexpression reversed the effects of alaskirin. Authors conclude by suggesting that the mechanism of neuroprotection by alaskirin is through inhibition of PDE4B, and this could be further explored down the road. Our next paper, paper number two, is entitled Andrographolide Promotes Hippocampal Neurogenesis and Spatial Memory in the APP Swedish PS1 Delta E9 Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Arendodo, and the last author is Varela Nalar, and this was published in the journal Scientific Reports. The authors are spread across several institutes in Chile. In our next paper, we explore properties of a medicinal plant called the green chiretta. The active compound from this plant, which is shortened to andro in this abstract, was shown in a previous paper by this group to induce cell proliferation in the hippocampus of the APP PS1 mouse model for Alzheimer's disease. Here, authors follow up on the findings in 8-month-old animals that are treated for 4 weeks with this compound. Again, proliferation in the dentate gyrus increased after treatment, specifically increasing neuronal progenitors, neuroblasts, and newborn immature neuron proliferation. These were all populations that are normally reduced in the APP PS1 mice compared to wild-type animals. Moreover, This coincided with behavioral effects as mice treated with andro showed better object location memory. The effects of andro were not completely abolished after co-treatment with an anti-mitotic drug. So authors suggest that andro might have additional effects other than increasing cell division that contribute to the observed cognitive improvement. I'm looking forward to their follow-up on these findings. Moving right along. We now go to paper number three, fluorinated dihydropyridines as candidates to block L-type voltage-dependent calcium channels. The first author is Menezes Spadetto, and the last author is Kormanich, and this was published in the Journal of Biomolecular Structure and Dynamics. The authors are affiliated with University of Campinas and Federal University of Lavras in Brazil. Did you know that voltage-gated calcium channel dysfunction can contribute not only to cardiovascular disorders, but even to AD? L-type calcium channel blockers are a long-standing type of drug, and here authors wanted to create new analogs of this drug and study its pharmacological properties and theoretical molecular dynamics. They highlight that all of their tested compounds could serve as potential candidates to be followed up on in a wet lab and even propose a method of synthesizing these compounds. If you're interested in the specific amino acid residues that are involved in the interactions of these compounds with their target, please read the paper for more details. Paper number four is titled, Investigating the Effect of Inosine on Brain Purinergic Receptors and Neurotrophic and Neuroinflammatory Parameters in an Experimental Model of Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Teixeira, and the last author is Spanavelo, and this paper was published in Molecular Neurobiology. 
The authors are once again from Brazilian institutes, and this time they are localized to a selection of federal universities. Now we have a paper that uses a model of AD that is induced by injection of a toxic compound called streptozotocin. Authors use this model to evaluate the effects of inosine, which is a nucleoside that can get converted into the antioxidant uric acid. Rats were either injected with streptozotocin or a buffer and further divided based on whether they received inosine as well. Researchers found that inosine administration prevented streptozotocin-induced memory deficits and reduced markers of inflammation. It also increased levels of anti-inflammatory cytokines and brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Morphological changes induced with streptozotocin were attenuated with inosine treatment. But inosine did not prevent increase in GFAP expression after toxin exposure. I didn't mention every finding listed in this abstract, so be sure to take a look at this paper in our bibliography if you want to know more about the details. Altogether, they suggest that inosine has therapeutic potential for AD and could serve as a neuroprotectant. Paper number 5 is entitled Small Molecule Modulation of Track B and Track C Neurotrophin Receptors Prevents Cholinergic Neuron Atrophy in an Alzheimer's Disease Mouse Model at an Advanced Pathological Stage. The first author is Gonzalez, and the last author is Simmons, and this was published in the journal Neurobiology of Disease. The authors are affiliated with Stanford University and University of California, San Francisco in the United States. With this paper, we have our first conflict of interest to report of our episode. Keep in mind, while you're listening to this summary, that some of the authors own patents related to the compound that is mentioned here, and one of the authors is also invested in a company that develops and patents small molecule ligands for neurotrophin receptors. As you can piece together, this paper focuses on two receptors for neurotrophins that could play a role in AD pathology. These receptors are Track b and Track c and authors previously reported that they had developed a corresponding ligand that increases cell survival and neurite outgrowth in vitro. This ligand, however, had poor oral bioavailability, so they created a derivative to improve bioavailability and tested for its effects in the APPL Swedish Mouse AD model. I'll just summarize their findings, which were that this compound improved cholinergic neuron integrity and cell survival in the basal forebrain and improved cholinergic neuron dysfunction in many AD-relevant brain regions. They even found that the compound improved survival of human stem cell-derived cholinergic neurons, so it has the potential to translate into a viable treatment in people with AD. Our last paper before the break is paper number 6. SPG302 reverses synaptic and cognitive deficits without altering amyloid or tau pathology in a transgenic model of Alzheimer's disease. The first author is Trujillo Estrada, and we actually have co-last authors, which I've never seen before. There are several of them that go by the surname Vanderlich, Simon, Baglietto Vargas, and La Ferla. This was published in the journal Neurotherapeutics, and the authors are spread across both Spanish and American institutes. 
We're switching neurotransmitters from acetylcholine to glutamate with the last paper of this section. This group tested a small molecule that can induce proliferation at glutamate synapses. This molecule is called SPG302, and four-week administration of it in triple transgenic or 3XTG mice improve hippocampus-dependent cognitive performance. They also found dendritic spine maturity increased with treatment, as was the expression of postsynaptic proteins like PSD95 and AMPA receptors. This compound did not alter A-beta or tau pathology in this mouse model, however, so I'd be interested to know the mechanism behind its ability to improve cognition and synaptic density. With that being said, this paper serves as a pretty great transition into our next section on restoring neurotransmitter balance in AD. I want to take a short break to convince you to join me and the editing team here at Aminder. We are responsible for the high-quality, polished episodes you hear, and our team is looking to grow so that we can cover even more episodes in a month. If you're interested in learning the ropes, send us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. We do have other positions on our team if you're interested in those. I find it to be a rewarding auditory and visual challenge, and I love working behind the scenes to get the best out of our hosts. So if you want to feel like a superhero after editing out mistakes seamlessly, please reach out to me and to the Aminder team. Nearly one million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. We are back with the second half of this episode, focused on restoring neurotransmission. Our first two papers focus on the M1 muscarinic receptor, and we'll continue with paper number seven of the episode. This is entitled, From Structure to Clinic, Design of a Muscarinic M1 Receptor Agonist with Potential to Treatment of Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Brown, and the last author is Tobin, and this was published in the journal Cell. This seems to be a truly international collaboration spanning Western Europe all the way through to Australia. One of the hallmarks of AD, as alluded to in the paper before the break, is the reduction of cholinergic transmission. We'll be looking at different aspects of acetylcholine neurotransmission in a majority of the papers that we'll cover in this second half. Before getting into the body of the abstract, however, this paper does have a conflict of interest statement. Several of these authors are shareholders, employees, and or board members of a drug development company that focuses on G-protein-coupled receptors. With that out of the way, let's see what this abstract has to offer, shall we? Authors here are trying to combat changes to cholinergic transmission by augmenting signaling through the M1 muscarinic receptor. While this has been done in the past, there have been reports of side effects. Authors therefore wanted to design a new potential candidate with more specific M1 receptor agonization. 
In this paper, they report the design of their resulting candidate compound, which is a selective partial agonist of M1. So take a look again at paper number 7 in the bibliography if you're interested in the details. Paper number 8 is called a M1 muscarinic acetylcholine receptor positive allosteric modulator improves pathology and cognitive deficits in female APP Swedish PSN1 delta E9 mice. The first author is Abd El Rahman, and the last author is Ferguson, and this was published in the British Journal of Pharmacology. The authors are affiliated with University of Ottawa in Canada and Alexandria University, all the way in Egypt. And I say all the way because I'm also located in Canada. <laughs> While this paper is looking at effects of agonizing the M1 muscarinic acetylcholine receptor, we are going to explore sex differences in these effects. Why is that? Well, 60% of diagnosed cases of Alzheimer's disease are in women. They use the APP Swedish transgenic mouse model and compared 9-month-old females to their wild-type counterparts. They found that their positive allosteric modulator improved novel object recognition and Morris water maze performance. Targeting a site other than the active site seems to reduce side effects due to off-target interactions. In the hippocampus, it reduced A-beta deposition and improved cell survival. They state that the change in A-beta oligomer production is due to a shifting of amyloid precursor protein processing to non-amyloidogenic cleavage. More specifically, this corresponds to a reduction in levels of beta-secretase base 1 and increase in alpha-secretase ADAM10. They suggest that this mechanism could be of clinical relevance for women with AD. Let's pivot to another aspect of acetylcholine transmission, which is to inhibit degradation of acetylcholine by cholinesterases. We'll have two cholinesterases pop up throughout the remainder of the episode. One is acetylcholinesterase, which I'll shorten to ACE, and the other is butyrylcholinesterase. The first batch of papers uses existing ACE inhibitors as a starting point for their drug design and development. We continue our episode with our ninth paper. The potential effect of insulin on acetylcholinesterase and its interactions with rivastigmine in vitro. The first author is Jamshidnajad Tosramandani, and the last author is Shioth. And this was published in the journal Pharmaceuticals out of Basel, Switzerland. The authors are affiliated with institutes that are located in Iran, Sweden, and Russia. This paper looks at the interaction of an existing ACE called rivastigmine with insulin. Why insulin? Well, insulin therapy can actually improve AD pathology, but it wasn't previously shown how and if it may interact with ACE. Authors here assessed in vitro using a method called response surface methodology. This is a mathematical model that investigates how a response is modulated by multiple variables. The Elman's method was used to analyze cholinesterase activity and their experiments ultimately showed that insulin does not affect ACE activity or rivastigmine's inhibition of ACE. I'm curious as to whether this would make co-treatment with insulin and rivastigmine more effective or not. The authors must be too, as they point out the need for further investigation. Paper number 10 is entitled Design, Synthesis, 
biological investigations, and molecular interactions of triazole-linked tacrine glycoconjugates as acetylcholinesterase inhibitors with reduced hepatotoxicity. The first author is Kaur Gulati, and the last author is Mukherjee, and this was published in Bioorganic Chemistry. The authors are affiliated with Guru Nanak Dev University and CSIRIIIM in India. Another well-known ACE inhibitor is called tacrine, which is unfortunately toxic to the liver. Authors here aim to reduce its hepatotoxicity by conjugating it with the functional group triazole. They go into a lot more detail about the conjugates and their biochemical properties, but I'm going to focus more on their reported findings in vitro. In a hepatic cell line called HEPG2, they found that their hybrids were much less toxic than tacrine alone, and the most potent of their compounds inhibited ACE using mixed inhibition. According to them, this compound, which they refer to as A4, is worth looking into further as a candidate for AD treatment. That was short and sweet, so now we move on to paper number 11, Computational Design of New Tacrine Analogues, an in-silico prediction of their cholinesterase inhibitory, antioxidant, and hepatotoxic activities. The first author is Jafaru, and there is only one middle author, which is Amine Kodja, and the last author is Bulebd. This was published in the Journal of Biomolecular Structure and Dynamics. The authors are affiliated with University of Frère Mantouri Constantine I in Algeria. This next paper also looks at how to avoid the hepatotoxicity of tacrine. They combed through a library of 34 novel analogs that were designed to contain antioxidant properties and evaluated them using computational modeling of anticholinesterase and antioxidant activities. From all of their work, they narrowed it down to just six compounds that had a predicted hepatotoxicity being low to none. They also report pharmacological properties of these compounds in the paper. So have fun perusing these details if that's what tickles your fancy. We find paper number 12 in the journal Future Medicinal Chemistry. The first and last authors of paper number 12 are Demir Yazici and Karali, and they belong to Istanbul University in Turkey. This paper is titled Synthesis, Molecular Modeling, and Cholinesterase Inhibitory Effects of Two Indolenone-Based Hydrazine Carbothioamides. This is another paper that uses an existing ACE inhibitor and modifies it. Our starting point this time is the ACE inhibitor Dinepazil, and it has been modified to improve binding to ACE. They were able to generate a compound, which they refer to as 8E, which preferentially bound ACE 17 times better than Dinepazil and 26 times better than another existing compound. Galantamine. They state that their candidate compounds show promise as an AD treatment option. We've got a lot of little sections to our episode this time around, so we're moving on to another subsection, which is focusing on designing novel anticholinesterases. So far, we've explored papers that modify existing treatments, but now we're looking elsewhere for inspiration. Our first paper of this section is using an organic molecule with medicinal properties, and it's the 13th paper of our episode. 
deciphering the acetylcholinesterase binding mechanism with multifunctional tricyclic coumarin anti-Alzheimer's agents using biophysical and bioinformatics approaches and evaluation of their modulating effects on amyloidogenic peptide assembly. That's one of the longer titles I've ever covered. (laughs) The first author is Bashu, and the last author is Damu. And this was published in the International Journal of Biological Macromolecules. The authors are affiliated with Yogi Vemana University and University of Hyderabad in India. Coumarin is one of the compounds found in cinnamon that is used in herbal medicine and has been featured in previous episodes in this very section. Here, authors test the coumarin analog called HMC1-5 for its multi-target effects on not only ACE but also A-beta aggregation. They found through their biochemical investigation that HMC1-5 could irreversibly disrupt pre-existing A-beta-42 fibrils and reduce cytotoxicity by altering how these fibrils aggregate. They also posit, based on computer modeling, that HMC1-5 has the ability to partially unfold ACE upon binding. Their study, therefore, provides further insight into the biological action of coumarin analogs. Next in the journal Chemical Biodiversity, we have our 14th paper of the episode, Immuno-2-hydrogen-chromine-based derivatives as potential anti-Alzheimer's agents, design, synthesis, biological evaluation, and in silico study. The first author is Aktaroshan, and the last author is Idraki, and these authors are affiliated with Shiraz University of Medical Sciences in Iran. Chromines are a class of heterocyclic compounds, and here, immuno-2-hydrogen chromine derivatives were designed to serve as multi-target agents for AD treatment. They also designed other 2-hydrogen chromines bearing phenolimino groups instead and compared them to the immuno-2-hydrogen chromines as far as base 1 and cholinesterase inhibition is concerned. Of the immuno-containing compounds, number 10A, bearing a benzyl motif, proved to be the most potent at inhibiting both ACE and butyryl cholinesterase. The phenolimino-containing compound 11B that features a hydroxyethyl moiety also showed promise as it reduced neuronal cell damage in PC12 cells induced with A-beta. They further report the findings of their molecular docking and stimulation analysis, but I will leave that up to you to check out. Next is the last paper of this particular subsection, which is paper number 15 of our episode. Rational Design and Synthesis of Modified Natural Peptides from Boana Pulchera Anura as Acetylcholinesterase Inhibitors and Antioxidants. The first author is Sanchis, and the last author is Siano, and these authors belong to several Argentinian institutes. This was published in the journal Amino Acids. This group of researchers wanted to improve on ACE inhibition with a specific strategy. They wanted to target the peripheral anionic site, which can serve as an allosteric modulator of ACE. And as an aside, this often is correlated to fewer adverse events. They designed peptide analogs of a recently discovered, naturally occurring allosteric modulating sequence. The analog that they designed contained aromatic residues and was named W3. This compound 
not only demonstrated 30 times greater inhibition of the peripheral anionic site, but it also demonstrated radical scavenging activity, implying it could function as an antioxidant. Altogether, they suggest this peptide could serve as a multi-target drug for AD. For the last two papers of this episode, we will switch our attention to monoamine oxidases A and B, which are shortened to MAO A and B. These are enzymes located on the outer mitochondrial membrane, and inhibiting them is often a route of therapeutic intervention in neurodegenerative diseases. Let's now look at paper number 16. Novel thiosemicarbazone derivatives, in vitro and in silico evaluation as potential MAOB inhibitors. The first author is Osmanie, and the last author is Kaplanchilki, and these authors belong to Anadolu University in Turkey. This paper was published in the journal Molecules. Inhibitors of MAOs are far less common in AD literature than anticholinesterases. This group wanted to develop new targets against human MAOA and B using thiosemicarbazone derivatives. They conjugated these compounds to add structures thought to increase inhibitory potential and tested their pharmacological properties. The conjugates bearing methoxyethyl groups proved to be the most potent MAOB inhibitors and bound reversibly and through non-competitive inhibition. They conclude their abstract by stating that their studies revealed a strong interaction between human MAOB active sites and their compound. The next and final paper of this episode is entitled Monoamine Oxidase A and B Inhibitory Activities of 3,5-Diphenyl-1,2,4-Triazole-Substituted 1,2,4-Triazolo-3,4-B-1,3,4-Thiadiazole Derivatives. First author is Bekirkan, and the last author is Chetin, Setin, and this was published in Bioorganic Chemistry. This is another Turkish paper, as the authors belong to Karadeniz Technical University and Marmara University, which are both located in Turkey. Our last paper of this episode explores the development of new human MAOB inhibitors, with a focus on being selective for the B isoform of the enzyme. They substituted triazole groups into thiodiazole-based compounds and generated 21 candidates as a result. Of their tested compounds, they found compounds 42E and H to have the highest inhibitory activity against human MAOB. And moreover, it was more than 25 times as selective for this isoform over MAOA. The more potent compound 42E demonstrated mixed mode of inhibition and could present as a promising jumping off point for AD drug development. You've made it all the way through the content of yet another episode. If you liked this one, be sure to check out number 250, where I look at underlying changes to synaptic transmission in AD, or if you're instead more curious about behavioral and cognitive changes in AD, Ellen Kosh hosts episode 249 on that very subject. If you could take a moment to leave us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, we can reach so many more listeners and we'd be forever grateful for your help. You could also recommend us to your friends, connect with us on social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send us an email with your CV if you're interested in joining our team. 
Speaking of our team, we have a number of highly skilled people sorting our abstracts into themes, and they're credited in the show notes. Thank you so much to the sorting team. Thanks also to the management team consisting of Sarah, Ellen Kosh, Ellen Rowe, Nyla, Jacques, and myself. Thank you also to Lara for doing the bibliography for this episode, and to Ellen Kosh for her edits of both my script and the final version of this recording. I also want to take a moment to mention that this very song that you're hearing is one that I wrote. It's called Journey of a Neurotransmitter, and I'm actually entering it into a competition called Dance Your PhD. Obviously, this means I need to dance my PhD, but I couldn't do that alone, so I recruited the help of fellow A-minder Nyla Kuhlman. You can check it out on my YouTube channel, which is AK Music, if you're curious for a visual accompaniment to what you hear now. Thank you so much for your patronage, and I hope this podcast serves as a useful and accessible tool for you. Join me again in another episode, won't you?